I got this remote up here. What do I do with it? <laughs> I feel like I'll blow everything up if I hit something on there. Uh, morning, everybody. Morning. My name's Jeremy. I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm very thankful to be kicking off a new year with you. The, the question that's going to be before us for the next few weeks is this. How do people change? How do people change, especially right now, is something that I imagine is in many of our minds. When we're thinking about a new year and new resolutions and the diet plans and the gym memberships and the flossing improvements and the other things that we're so gung-ho right now on improving about ourselves, I think we have to ask two preliminary questions before that. Because we will race to all the, all the things that I think or that my culture believes or that the TV says or that my Instagram feed tells me are the things that I should be. But the first question, even before asking how do I change, is what am I turning into? And am I turning into something that is actually going to be healthy and thriving and flourishing for me. So at this ripe time when we're at the front end of the year, we're thinking about the, the whole of 2024 that's about to be, to be before us, the question before us is, what is thriving? What does a healthy life look like? And the Bible has a proposition for us. As we kick off this new year, Jesus says in Matthew 22 that actually the thing above all things, the goal above all goals, the resolution above all resolutions is this. He's asked, what is the greatest thing you can spend your life doing? And he says, love God, love other people. So fundamentally, in order to love, love is predicated on relationship. So what Jesus is, is telling us, what the Bible from page to page, from cover to cover is telling us, is that life is fundamentally about relationship. That's what we're created for. That's what we're created to grow in the midst of, and that's what we're created to grow into. So, and then how do we become more and more of a loving person? Well, how do you get good at anything that you want to get good at? You go find somebody who is already doing that thing, and you apprentice them, and you follow along with them, and you do what they do, and you say what they say, and you watch how they do their life, and you more and more grow into them. And this is the invitation that Jesus gives us. What we're going to read, we're parking in three verses, in three verses in one uh, little story for the next three weeks. This is Matthew 4 just after all the birth narrative and everything that has just gone on that we've just celebrated in Christmas, now we are living into the reality of what did Jesus come to do. So, Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20, Adrian Peterson. Yeah! Come on up. Do you have Bible? You got this? Already in there? Great. 
While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Adrian. So we're structuring our next three weeks based on this one phrase of Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. There's an invitation here from Jesus to grow in relationship with him. He doesn't say, follow my teaching. He doesn't even only say, follow my example. He says, follow me. Be with me. Be in relationship with me. Follow me. That's this week. Next week, and I will make you. Now, he's talking to Peter and his brother Andrew. And what we know to be true, so that follow me and I will make you, that's a plural you. So that's like, I will make y'all fishers of men. Because what we know to be true is that he calls Peter, he calls Andrew, he calls James, he calls John, and then so on and so forth with the remainder of his close disciples. And then finally, I will make you fishers of men. There's an invitation to grow in relationship with Jesus and to grow in relationship with his followers, and then finally to grow in relationship with those that do not know this Jesus yet. So that's where we're going. Fundamentally, this is what Jesus says is the good life. This is what Jesus says should be the thing that our entire life orbits around, where health comes from, where flourishing comes from, where thriving comes from. So ultimately, what we're saying is that we are formed for relationship with Jesus, the church, and the world by relationship with Jesus. So those are going to be our two points this morning. We are formed for relationship with Jesus by relationship with Jesus. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talk in psychology and other even more popular circles today about this idea of attachment theory. Maybe you've heard of this idea. It was popularized by a guy named John Bowlby uh, in the 1950s. It came out of his study in, in Europe in World War II. He was noticing the ill effects of parents and children who were separated from each other, especially in those early years of kids' formation. So he actually became an advocate and petitioned against children being evacuated separately from especially, he saw the distinction between the mother-child relationship uh, during the war. He said this is going to have worse effects potentially with them apart than even them being together in war-torn Europe. And he noticed the correlation then between, he said, between the ages of six weeks and 30 months between how you attached or did not attach in your parental relationships, how that later on impacted your ability to have attachable relationships. Now, we can poke holes in some of this. His, his theory was rooted in an evolutionary understanding of humanity, but what we can find in so many different disciplines across time and across humanity is there are ways that the Bible affirms his findings here because ultimately all truth is God's truth. What's true is that at a fundamental level, we are relational beings. We, we know from Genesis 1 that we have been created in the image 
of an invisible God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. So he is communal by his very nature. He is perfectly attached. He has everything in himself. He does not need anything else apart from himself to be okay in himself. He is perfect unity in diversity. And out of that security, out of that attachment, out of that joy came you and me. Out of that came, let us make man, even that pronoun, let us, Genesis 127, make man in our image. Male and female, we make them. And so there is this fundamental reality that we are communal beings created in the image of a communal God. And it is also fundamental throughout all of Scripture that the primary ways that God talks about his interaction with us is relational. He uses terms like father, mother, bride, child to describe this relationship with us. And again, he's God. He could do whatever he wants. He could relate with us in any way he wants. And what he says is, this is who you are. You are made to be in relationship with me. Psalm 68.5, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. In his holy habitation, high and lifted up, other than us. He could be anything to us, and yet he says, he's your father. He cares. He loves. He wants to attach and be near to you. Or Matthew 23, this is Jesus' words. He's weeping over Jerusalem, and he says, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen covers her brood under her wings. This is a maternal image that Jesus is saying, I long to sweep you up in a big warm hug. This is God's desire for relationship with you. Even today, even this morning, even right now. But maybe it's just the familiarity with some of these passages, especially in the Gospels. But it's very easy to miss how momentous and ridiculous what is happening in Matthew 4 is. Because what's happening, Matthew 1, 2, and 3 tells the story of God, that God in his holy habitation, who dwells in eternal light, comes and dwells among us, puts on flesh, has, uh, wakes up with real parents in a real world. He has to eat, he has to drink, he spits up, he cries. He was a teenager, as difficult as that is. Amen, teenagers? Like, that was supposed to, you're supposed to say more than that. Okay, that's okay. Uh, how about amen, who, those of you who have been teenagers? Amen. Yeah, okay, right? So he existed in all of those realities. He grew up, he was baptized by John in the River Jordan. He was tempted by Satan in the desert. And then all of a sudden, here he is, and he taps Peter on the shoulder and says, you want to hang? Like, do you get how crazy that is? This is the God of the universe. Something must have been massively wrong if the God of the universe had to come in flesh as a baby, grow up just so he could get to Peter and tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, 
What happened? Why did the Christmas story that we just celebrated, why did that have to be the way it is? Well, what we know to be true, the reason that Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, saying, I wish, I long to cover you under my wings, the part I left out of that statement is the next words are, but you would not. I long to be with you, but you would not. Because what is also true is our lineage going all the way back to our first parents. Our lineage and our determination to do what Come Thou Fount said. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Ah! There is something inside of us that even though we are designed to be attached, rightly related, loved, and to love God our Father. Yet there is something in us that constantly is pulling us the other direction that is almost, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that love. I don't want him to tell me what to do. I don't want to be related with him. I want to do what I want to do. And yet there's still something, each of us are born into this world not rightly related to our God, not rightly related to our creator, to the one that we were designed to be in right relationship with. And so no wonder why all of especially relationships get real difficult and are so painful and we'd experience so much loss when relationships get broken because ultimately relationships are the most important thing, like Jesus just said, and... There is something fundamentally broken about our ability to be in relationship. Bruce Marshall, in the 1945 uh, novel, The World, The Flesh, and Father Smith, Father Smith makes this statement that in, in other, uh, over the years has been misquoted by both C.S. Lewis or misattributed to both C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton. Turns out it was neither one of those guys. Um, But he says this, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. There is something inside of us that churns and desires others to be near to us. And yet at the same time, when we put too much weight on any one particular relationship, whether that be parent relationship, child relationship, spousal relationship, friend relationship, anything that we will put ultimate, if this relationship is good, then everything is good. Anything we put that kind of weight on will buckle under its own weight. Because there's only one relationship that is made to handle that kind of weight, that kind of heaviness, that kind of desire. Because that great desire for, for connection can drive all kinds of unhealthy relating patterns. And I'm sure uh, in the last couple of weeks, as you've related with many uh, of your family members and close friends and others, um, can relate with that statement. But we are formed for relationship with Jesus. It's how we're designed, it's how we're made, it's what we're supposed to do, and yet it is so hard. 
Relationship with him, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Relationship with other people, so difficult, especially when we place undue weight on those relationships. Where do we go? How do we, how do we change this natural churning pattern inside of us? Well, those of you who are married, how ready were you for marriage when you got married? How, how prepared were you for this journey of a union with one person for the rest of your life, sleeping in the same bed, brushing your teeth next to each other, doing all the annoying things that you do normally alone, now next to somebody else who sees them all the time? Uh, Sarah and I were high school sweethearts, and uh, the first time I took her on a date, I did not open the door for her into my car. I was not in that moment, let alone even this moment, able to do this relationship thing right. Constantly fumbling the ball, constantly unable to fully connect and be present and love my wife. But I've grown. How have I grown? Did I say, hang on, wait until I get me figured out and then we'll kind of work on this together? No, that's not the design. The design is to be, I am growing in my relationship by my relationship. And the safety of that relationship is how I am able to grow and not be afraid that one day she will up and leave. Because there is a covenant that we have made with one another. And get this, there's a covenant that God has made with you. That even on your worst day, he will be at his best. And in that kind of freedom, we can more and more grow into who? Into the relational beings with him and others that we are created for. Because what we know to be true is that the story of Peter for the remainder of his interactions with Jesus is not a glamorous one, right? If you think and track through the interactions that are recorded in both Matthew and Luke uh, here, there are a multitude after multitude of failures. Even the way that Peter uh, meets Jesus here in this moment is funny. So, this is Luke 5. Luke records some of the details of what's happening in Matthew 4 that Matthew chooses not to. So what we find in Luke 5 is that this crowd is pressing in to hear this new teacher. This new teacher, Jesus, has just come on the scene. He's starting to make his way around Galilee. People are starting to follow him and be amazed by this teaching. Uh, he's beginning to heal people and do other miraculous signs. And then he finds himself next to Peter and Andrew on one morning when they're minding their own business, and he says, hey, can I get in your boat? And Peter, I guess, with the force of, I imagine, who Jesus was as a person, is just kind of like, yeah, okay, sure. So grabs Jesus' boat, shoves off with him and Andrew. Now they're floating out in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus then teaches this crowd. When he's done teaching the crowd, he says amen or whatever Jesus did when he was done teaching. Uh, and then he says, hey, how's fishing going? I mean, you don't look like you got, you got very much in the boat. 
you've been out here all night. The best time to catch fish is in the middle of the night. Now it's the morning. And Peter's like, I mean, it's just kind of a bust. It's a bust of a day. And so we just, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to cut our losses and go home. Jesus says, how about, how about just try one more time? And Peter's like, oh, you already stole my boat. It's already been two hours or however long it's been out here. And now I've listened to your teaching and now we got to fish more. Okay, fine. Throws his net onto the other side of the boat and there is a haul of fish that comes up that almost capsizes the boat. Peter's words here are this. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. Peter was not ready for his relationship with Jesus when his relationship with Jesus began. Jesus stepped into Peter's life. Peter did not step into Jesus' life. And that same initiative that he got in the middle of Peter's workday, has Jesus ever gotten into the middle of your workday? Has Jesus ever gotten into the middle of your marriage? Has Jesus ever gotten into the middle of your school day? Has Jesus ever gotten into the middle of a fight that you are in with someone else? The very times that we think we are the least ready to meet Jesus are the very times where he is most ready to meet us. Our places of failure, our places of loss, our places of discomfort, these are the places where Jesus meets us most readily. And this wasn't the end. (laughs) Peter, a little while later, Jesus is washing his feet, showing what is about to come, that this is a savior who came to lay down his life for his people. And Peter's like, I don't need it. I'm okay. I'm clean. My feet are good. Still does not understand this relationship that Jesus is inviting him into. A little bit later, Peter's been telling him, or Jesus has been telling Peter uh, and the rest of the disciples, hey, I'm about to be arrested. I'm about to be crucified. And then I'm going to come back three days later. And they don't get it. They don't understand what he's talking about up to the point where Jesus is being arrested, doing the very thing he said he was about to do. And in his impulsivity, Peter says, no way, grabs his sword, cuts off Malchus, one of the guards' ears. Jesus heals it, says, Peter, put the sword away. And then the coup de grace of all failures, Jesus is literally on his way to his death. And Peter says, I never know that guy. Never seen him before. Don't know who he is. Must be a lunatic. Good riddance. That is the very last thing that Peter does before Jesus dies. You know what the very first thing that Jesus does upon his death and his resurrection? He goes back to Peter who's doing the same thing that we find him doing here. He's gone back to his old ways. He's gone back to fishing. He's thinking, I'm too much of a screw-up. I'm too dirty. I've messed up this relationship too much. There's no hope for me. Goes back to doing what he was doing. And who comes down to the seashore? Jesus does. And how does Jesus approach him? He makes him fish and invites him for breakfast. Hearkening back to this very moment, Peter, do you remember when I first came to you? Do you remember my power? Even more so, do you remember my love? 
Do you remember my initiative that continued to move towards you time after time after time? Do you remember? That is the initiative and the relationship that Jesus invites us into this morning. That his life and his death and his resurrection have paid the price for all of our perpetrations against God. For all of the reasons that God should say, I want nothing to do with you. Now because of the perfect relationship that father and son have between Jesus and his heavenly father, we are invited into that same relationship by faith in him. And so the question is, when you think about growing in relationship with God, what do you think about? How does that happen? In what ways does that take place? Here's here's where usually we begin to introduce the concept of spiritual disciplines. The only thing that I don't like about even the word spiritual disciplines is the idea that it can create, at least in many of our postmodern minds, that I do stuff and that sort of like puts coins in the God slot machine and then I can pull the thing and then get what I want from him. But in what relationship is that a healthy way to go about things? I do nice things for you, then you do nice things for me. That's a great relationship up until the point one of you stops doing nice things for the other person and then the whole thing falls apart. Instead, to think of spiritual disciplines not as things that we do in order to get something from God, they are something that we do in order to boost our relationship with him. So to think, about, uh, to think about scripture, prayer, journaling, silence, solitude, worship, even what we're doing right now, not as things that I am doing in order to sort of get something from God, but I already have everything from him. I have his smile. I have his open arms. I have everything in his pockets. is totally available to me at all times in Christ. And so scripture and prayer can go from sort of a daily task to check off my list to I'm hearing Jesus talk to me in scripture and I'm responding to him. I'm building a relationship. I'm having a conversation in prayer. Fasting goes from something that I do in order to check off a box maybe once, especially beginning of the year, fasting seems to be a thing. Wonderful. But Are you fasting in order to check off a box or are you fasting in order to heighten your desires for the Lord? Silence and solitude to go and hear from him and be with him. Journaling to record your ongoing relationship and the movements of what he's doing in your life. This is how Jonathan Edwards describes the turn from doing something as a checkbox to doing something as a relationship builder with the Lord. He says, The first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and divine things that I have lived much in since, which uh, was on reading these words. 1 Timothy 1.17 Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. As I read these words, there came into my soul and was, as it were, diffusing through it a sense of glory of the divine being. 
a new sense, quite different from anything I'd ever experienced before. Never any words of scripture seemed to me as these words did. I thought with myself how excellent a being that was and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up with him in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in him forever. I kept saying as it was singing over these words of scripture to myself and went to God to pray that I might enjoy him and prayed in a manner quite different from what I used to do with a new sort of affection. What we are invited to is not a list of duties in order for God to smile upon you. What we are invited into is a relationship with God. Do you desire this morning a relationship with Jesus? The invitation is yours. Follow him. Be with him. Abide with him. And just in so doing, you will more and more become like him as the, the only one who has perfectly loved, who's been the perfect friend, who's been the, the perfect uh, husband, the perfect father. He is the only perfect one who has ever been. And we follow him and learn from him and let his spirit begin to work in our hearts. So um, there's so many different things out there, resources that I'm sure you are able to find with a, a quick Google search of different ways that you might find in this new year to engage in relationship with God. Uh, if you would like some particular, um, some particular encouragements, I could give you a few, um, but for the sake of time, let me do that offline. Um, even more so, potentially, in your small groups that are starting up in a couple weeks, let that be a beginning of the year conversation. What are ways that you this year want to grow in your relationship, in your relating to God? And what ways are you finding that is, are helpful to you? And that's going to be potentially even more helpful than anything I would tell you. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, this opportunity that we have before us is to do just that. Because remember that the thing that Jesus did to remind Peter, of his love for him, was make him a meal. And in the same way, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken, listen to the pronoun, for you. 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 As often as you do this, as often as you eat this, Remember my love for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant. There's that word. A new promise in my blood. As often as you drink this, remember, it is not by your works. It is not by your ways. It's not even by your love that you're rightly related to me. It is by my work, Jesus says, that reconciles God and man. And this is the invitation that he has for us today, to come and dine with him. In that day, as much as it is in ours, if not more, to eat with someone was a sign of relationship. If you go to lunch with somebody, you are building a relationship with them. Consider this Jesus making you breakfast and reminding you once more of his deep love for you, so much so that he would go to the cross on your behalf. Let's pray. So, Father, we pray that in these moments together as we come to the table now, 
that you would more and more soften our hearts. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Father, for all who sing that and taste the disgust that comes with that, Father, would you love us? Love us in spite of ourselves. Love us in spite of our ability to love you. And thank you, Jesus, that that's who you are. And thank you, Jesus, that you could have been any kind of God. And yet you have been one who comes near and stoops low and loves even the lost and even the least. So come to us now as we kneel before you. Would you feed us? And as you feed us, would we commune with you? We pray in your name. Amen.